strong. Always the best part when you just sit there looking at me and I'm waiting for you to press record. <laughs> just, just like, yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. Well, like all good COVID strains, Damo, we've had a bit of a lull. We're dormant. But now the Olympic fever is back, mate, in a raging wave towards the Tokyo Paralympic Games, Damo. How excited are you? It's just as excited as me, I hope. Yeah, mate. Uh, we thought we we're going to have to wait three years to bring back the uh, Olympics podcast, but two weeks, 14 days, yes. the uh, COVID life cycle, and, and we're back, mate. And it's worked out perfectly for Victorians in particular and probably New South Wales as well, given that we're still in a lockdown, so not much has changed in a couple of weeks, has it? Just different sports, different athletes, really. That's the only thing that's changed. But the same thing that we've got is we've got you as the foreman and the form guy for these Paralympics, haven't we? Yeah, there might be a few episodes to come with some Australian hot tips. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, we won't be reaching out to Gator or Tony Brussel for these ones. <laughs> <laughs> but what's so what's caught our interest, and me and you have both spoken about this, was what actually qualifies you to get into the Paralympics? Because as we know, with a lot of different events, athletics, swimming, there's a lot of different sub classifications of that what you get grouped into to compete. And so what we found was interesting and is also the topic of this podcast episode is what actually qualifies you to be a Paralympian and some of the different uh, characteristics or impediments that you may suffer that actually qualify you for the Paralympic Games. So it's a pretty interesting set of criteria, Dana, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's something that's a little bit like the unknown. Um, the Paralympics yeah. in, in the past probably doesn't get as much um, media or attention than it probably has this time around. Um, it's certainly yeah. moved into the limelight a little bit. But I think, as we've said, we probably didn't know what all the char- characteristics or criteria were to, to actually qualify. So we thought yeah. it would be a good idea to sort of um, relay the knowledge onto our viewers and listeners um, so that they're up to speed with what's going on at these these games. Absolutely. And and while we were on that, thanks to everyone who's liked and subscribed to the channel as well over the past couple of weeks. It's been pretty um, mind-blowing, the, the growth that we've had, we've had. So thank you very much to everyone out there. And and look, we haven't even mentioned the fact that Sean's not on this podcast. I don't know where, I don't know where he is. I think, he's, uh, I think he's in hiding after some of his shorts have blown up. So you see a bloke pap- walking around the... Yeah, if you see the around the south, chasing him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne with uh, some sunnies on and a very shady character. It's probably Sean. So uh, thanks everyone for jumping on, but we'll get stuck into some of the categories and, and impairments that uh, qualify you to be a Paralympian. Yeah, so there's, there's 10 key categories that we're going to go through here that um, you can fall under to qualify for the Paralympics. So the first one... Yeah. Um, is impaired muscle power. Now, essentially, um, this is a category that covers um, athletes that have had a spinal injury um, or a paraplegic or they've got muscle muscular dystrophy um, and spina bifida. So generally, it's people that um, can't use either their um, lower body or even their upper body. Um, and the criteria of impaired muscle power essentially means that they're just determining it because they're unable to produce the normal force that um, an able body athlete would um, in at least one limb or side of the body. 
And the next one, so the second of 10, is impaired passive range of motion. Now, this relates to athletes that are unable to voluntarily move one or multiple joints, usually caused by some sort of chronic joint immobilization. So, or trauma, but this doesn't include arthritis. So that's a particular specification that should be noted. Category three um, is loss of limb or deficiency. So this applies to athletes that are amputees um, or have had missing or shortened limbs at birth. Yes, absolutely. So that, and that's an important one as well as that if it ha- like, obviously if it happens after birth as well, like they've incorporated that in the, uh, in the criteria. The next one, leg, leg length difference. Now you see this in a couple of sub uh, sport classifications as well. This one comes up specifically in the classification. So this applies to athletes with a difference in leg length due to a disturbance in growth or trauma during that, obviously the development phase when you're, when you're growing up. So like, as we say, that's a common one that you'll see throughout some of the sports that we'll talk about in a later episode. Yeah. Uh, the next one that we've got is short stature. So this applies to athletes that are shorter than 147 centimetres, which is the official um, measurement for dwarfism. Um, and this is generally due to a genetic or health condition. And hypotonia as well. So I'd never actually heard of this uh, phrase before, Damo. Have you heard of it, hypotonia? Mate, in doing the research, I had to get the old um, first-year uni anatomy and physiology book. Yeah. There's a few very technical terms, so hopefully we yeah. can break it down and simplify it for everyone at home. Yeah, absolutely. So this one uh, refers to athletes that have reduced muscle stretch capacity. So, for instance, for example, this might be things such as cerebral palsy or stroke victims or people who've had traumatic brain injuries as well. So there's a few different criteria there within that. Yeah, so for that hypotonia in terms of the stretch capacity, so when we're talking about a muscle contraction, um, like extending and contracting, they have issues with with that movement. Um, So that's what hypotonia is. The next one that we have is ataxia, um, and this applies to athletes with uncoordinated movements um, caused by damage to the central nervous system. So again, this is common in people with cerebral palsy, stroke victims, and those with a traumatic brain injury. And what you'll find there is that there might be a delay or um, there's an inability to actually do what they're trying to do. So with their coordination, if they're trying to say, for example, open their hand or um, close it, there might be a delay. So they'll think and try to do it and then it'll like gradually happen or there's a delay in that central nervous system. Um, So again, that's common amongst uh, cerebral palsy um, patients. And then, so then it extends into the eighth category, which is athetosis, which I believe is correct pronunciation, although I stand corrected on that one demo. So this applies to athletes with continually slow involuntary movements. Again, people with cerebral palsy or traumatic brain injury and stroke victims are also the typical athletes that fit into that category. Yeah, again, this one, if you've ever seen someone with um, Parkinson's disease, that's similar to what they have. Um, or if you've got yeah. a twitch where there's um, involuntary movements that occur within within the person. Number nine is vision impairment. So this one's pretty self-explanatory. So this applies to athletes with reduced or no vision. Um, this is actually broken down into three categories, which we'll discuss mm. um, in the sports differently. There's different categories, but for the vision impairment, Um, Category one is low vision with no light perception. Category two is better vision than category one. 
um, but their field of view is still less than 10 degrees in diameter, so they can't see very well at all. Um, and then category three is better vision than category two, um, but their field of view is less than 40 degrees. So that's the best level of vision that you can have. Um, some things that you'll notice, which we'll talk about in our later episode, is that often to make it an even playing field, um, they have to wear blacked out sunglasses yes. or goggles um, just to make sure that everyone's on the same playing field. Other sports, they might have a guide. So I know in the 100-meter sprinting, usually yep. they have a guide. Um, cycling, they'll have a guide. Yep. So it's quite common in a lot of these sports that are with vision-impaired athletes that they'll actually have um, either their coach or uh, an athlete, an able body athlete that guides them through the event. Absolutely. And the one I found particularly interesting with that, with that was the triathlon as well. So the triathlon will have one guide throughout as well as with the athletes, which is, I think, fascinating, really. It's an interesting dynamic in itself, even for training purposes, Damo, because you need, to, you need to find someone with a similar capacity that can help push you along or you know, and maintain the pace you need to maintain and the new person need to maintain. So I reckon that's fascinating. And I have seen the vision of the football athletes, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, of those athletes having the eye patches underneath the, the glasses as well. So everybody's on the same playing field. So it's quite extraordinary to watch if you've never seen it before. Yeah. I actually had this conversation with my housemate um, with the Paralympics coming and it was about, Imagine the distraught if you were the guide in the 100-meter sprint and you pinged your mm. hammy. Oh, yes, exactly. Like a, yeah. If, if, the, if the guide yeah. like got injured, yes. not the actual athlete, because it's not like you're going to have a spare guide on hand yes. and you've done yeah, all the training. Point, so, like, the, yeah. the heartbreak would be there. I also don't know, do they get a medal as well, the guide? Yes. Well, I have seen this, and apparently they do. So they do also get a medal, which I think is probably fair enough because – it's a pretty important task. And as we talked about, you have to have a, like a similar level of training ability to be able to you know, pace the person or guide them to where they need to go, particularly like the triathlon that we spoke about in cycling. So I think that's probably fair enough. Well, do you reckon you get someone slightly fitter than you so then they can give you a bit yes. of a, a Maloney yeah. rev up? Well, I reckon that's, the, uh... Yeah. <laughs> well, you probably have to, wouldn't you? Because it'd be a lot easier for you to maintain the intensity if, you, if you're basically at 80% of what your max is. So that's probably the optimal, I reckon, for a guide. I'm not yeah. sure. But I want you to do further research on this. I think it could be an episode of its own, really. Yeah, I reckon, it's, I reckon it could be. I reckon we'll do some further info. We'll table it. But I definitely have seen some images of guides winning medals. So... That's something that I reckon we might uncover for another episode, mate. Lovely. All right. And then our last one, Rob. So the last one we have is an intellectual impairment. So this uh, applies to athletes with an intellectual impairment that restricts their behaviour or their social and practical skills uh, compared to everyday life. So this impairment, however, must be present, I believe, Demo, since... 18 or they have to have it before they turn the age of 18. Is that right? Yeah. So um, it has to be diagnosed prior to them turning 18. If it, um, if it occurs after that, unfortunately they're not eligible for that criteria, but they may meet one of the other categories. Beautiful. Well, so that's the 10 classifying criteria or eligibility criteria for participation in the Paralympics. So, 
uh, a short and sharp episode from us today, but we will have further information on some of the different sports as well because there's a lot to go into athletics and swimming and a few of the other sports as well that we really want to get stuck into across the next couple of weeks. So a good start from us, Damo. Yeah, yeah. We've tried our best to break down some yeah. of the technical jargon there. Um, if you do have yeah. any questions or want any further information about that um feel free to chuck it in the comments section or hit us up on the socials and we'll we'll do our best to explain that further um our tip sheet will also come in a later episode for who we think might bring home the gold for the aussies there we go well thank you very much for tuning in to the this latest episode of the decades podcast we're glad to be back on the olympic paralympic bandwagon particularly in lockdown so thanks very much for tuning in and we'll catch up very soon with some further Paralympic content.